education is key, whatever level you decide you go to. Um, if you're always learning, you're a life, like I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. I'll never know everything. And there's always an opportunity to learn more. Um, whether that's going back and taking a couple courses and on stuff that you just want to, you know, refresh your mind on, like obviously marketing and social uh, media have changed the way people market over the past 20 years. So and there's always new stuff coming out. So for us, it's about how do we continue to tap into what these new things are? You know, as I start to age, my user, like my, most of my user base is going to stay the students, you know, student level. So how do we tap into that knowledge consistently so that we're providing value. And I think it really comes down to us. It's, it's really about, you know, we want to help you get education, right? And pay for that education. And we want to make sure we do it right. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Jonathan, um, you know, you came in through um, our, our connections over at Innovation Factory, but uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a different reason. Your name's been uh, thrown up a lot all over LinkedIn lately. Um, you have a lot of a lot of key supporters for your project. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's uh, LinkedIn's been a lot of fun. It's been a great resource for us. Um, and just, you know, it's been a great marketing platform. You know, a lot of people are asking questions and we're just able to kind of you know, get our information out and let people know what we're doing. And it's, it's starting to kind of spread like wildfire, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, your name came up, especially on, uh, I think the, the MD of, uh, forum ventures, the newly minted forum ventures threw out a challenge yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they said, you know, by the end of the week, we want to, we want to fund a, a, a startup with a hundred thousand dollars. I think it's a Canadian startup with a hundred thousand uh, dollars, and give it to them by the end of the week. Uh, some some kind of weird investment challenge, yeah. uh, uh, you know, among the investor, investor community to get, you know, to write checks and get uh, get funding out there. And yeah. he asked the LinkedIn community, "Is like, who do you recommend gets this?" And I was so shocked that you didn't win this because uh, throughout the comments was uh, Jonathan from Paid, Jonathan from Paid, Jonathan, everyone was yeah. tagging you. And uh, that's I'm like, who's this guy from Paid? What's his card up and what's <laughs> going on? Uh, and uh, I got a chance to jump into it. So right off the bat, paid looks, uh, you know, as a value prop, amazing. But can you introduce us uh, to paid? What is it and why are you doing it? Yeah, so, so our paid is basically a savings mechanism for helping, you know, students, graduates, families, you know, save and pay for education, um, to put it very simply. And, you know, this kind of came about because I've been in the, you know, post-secondary industry for over 15 years, basically, you know, as a student leader, uh, got into the student health insurance industry, and we, we created a program called Real Campus. And it was through Real Campus that we saw that, you know, financial stress in post-secondary students is, you know, number one or number two of their major stressors. So when we went out to kind of investigate who we could partner with to help alleviate this stress, we really couldn't find anybody. And so that kind of dawned on me is like, well, maybe there's an opportunity here. And that's how paid was born. It was, it was born to specifically help students pay off their student debt or save for their education so that when they graduate, they're not behind and they're not paying, they're not living paycheck to paycheck. Absolutely. I mean, student debt has become uh, more than a buzzword, more like very top of mind in recent years, uh, especially since uh, the student debt calculator has, uh, has come out and yeah. you can both see the U.S. and Canadian debt and you can watch it per second. It just shoots up, just yep. interest and new loans. Like you just see it going up and up and up. And it's kind of phenomenal that this type of debt ex exists in North America. Uh, student loan debt is one of the only uh, only few forms of debt that can't be uh, that is immune from debt relief, immune from bankruptcy. Uh, it is also one of the most substantial forms of debt you can get into, and also at such a young age with very little credit or any kind of uh, way to paying back. And this is whole propped up industry that exists around student debt and higher ed. Um, that I think we're seeing, uh, especially COVID, uh, during COVID, has like shown the gaps in. Higher education has, you know, the, the, 
the ROI of, uh, of higher education has been going steadily downwards in the last 40 years, while as the, the cost of tuition has gone steadily upwards. In the beginning, like, uh, well, not in the beginning, but, but 40, uh, 40 years ago, um, you know, $5,000 for an average uh, like a college uh, diploma in the United States will guarantee, you know, give you about an extra $3 million on average uh, more in income than someone that had a high school diploma. And that ROI has steadily gone down. And people had been thinking about it. It's like, is a co- is higher ed over? Is, is the college experience over? Because it's no longer worth it. Uh, and it, I think that's a, that's a very challenging question because universities, uh, especially in Canada, we're surrounded by these great institutions that have mm-hmm. great programming, not just like, uh, not just academic, but these provide so much support. The way I, I kind of talk about it, you know, having, having taught within the environment, having spent most of my 20s going through that environment, uh, not just in uh, undergrad, but also going through incubators and accelerators from a third startup and, um, and then later on teaching, is that universities are, like a, are a great club where you can yeah. go to and gain a lot of experience from, whether you want to start a company or uh, start a newspaper, get into journalism, you know, like there's so many different problems you can solve. Uh, one of the key, one of the best definitions I've heard of them is that literally the meaning of university is universal city, right? Yeah. And it's a great way, it's a, it's a test environment if you want to ever launch an idea. It's actually one of the greatest places for an entrepreneur to be in because you can, in a micro environment, test ideas and see how they perform and, be surrounded by like high value people that are pre-selected because they're high value people. Uh, and it sucks that such a experience has now been commercialized to the point where it's like, it's overly fished. Like it's overly re- been, 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 been succumbed to like uh, the financial industry. So now everyone equates higher education to debt and getting into debt. And the ROI is getting out of it as fast as possible, going through the experience as fast as possible, getting that job and paying it off and not really experiencing it. So talking about student debt, I think is very top of mind right now. So how do you, like, how do you think about student debt? How do you think about uh, debt for yourself? I think with student debt, you know, I struggled with student debt uh, out of post-secondary, to be honest. And I, I went through my own trials and tribulations trying to, you know, get it paid off. You know, you, you, you look at certain city centers and the cost of living. Um, and so when students leave school or they graduate, they get a job. That job could be downtown Toronto and you're getting paid maybe $40,000 a year. You've got to pay what? Anywhere from a thousand, you know, around a thousand bucks on average to just, you know, live somewhere. And then you add on the 300 plus that you got to pay on your student debt plus your food and you want to live, right? You want to be able to experience life at the same time. Well, it's really hard to do, right? You can't, you basically have to say, okay, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to go to work come home, sit, read, watch a movie, and that's it. That's all I can do. I can't do anything outside of that. I can't go out and have a real life or a relationship or friends because if I do that, it's going to cost me more than I'm making at my job. So I think, you know, when you look at that experience that I had, uh, I saw the need for it right away. So let's go for the counterpoint because there's, there's, there's this conservative argument that the the point of, of being a young adult is to take on um, not 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 take on debt but take on challenge, <laughs> and you're you're sacrificing and, uh, and 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 taking on this debt by you know borrowing from your future to invest in your now to to go into an education now that's going to catalyze your, your future and then the learning to pay it back and actually effectively paying it back is uh, a way of graduating from that experience right showing that you're a financially fiscally responsible person. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty bogus because a lot of people who get out of it fast have a lot of support that, you know, it's not an equal, equal agenda for, for different people, uh, different amounts means different things. A hundred dollars and a thousand dollars means completely different. Um, like, you know, it can buy a lot more, can go a lot, stretch a lot further. So, I mean, talking about, you know, your experiences about, with that and stuff, like most people, you know, especially most young people, uh, first experience debt mostly because of universities. You know that you're also not just a student experience, but also uh, the first time you get a credit card is generally within within the university. Someone will sign you up, right? What is this obsession with like young uh, young adults and debt? Like, why do we burden young people with debt? Have you have you ever looked into like uh, like the thought thought behind that? I I, I think it's kind of generational, um, and, and it's in two facets in the sense that. You know, if you do have the support mechanisms, you know, 
you have parents that want you to go through post-secondary. They want you to get that education. So that's one. But then you have the other one where maybe you're from a family that never got a post-secondary education. So there's a little bit of pressure on you to do it because they never did it, right? It's kind of it's kind of like the the athletic analogy where you know you you were an athlete but you didn't really get to to the NHL but then you have a kid and you're pushing that kid to get to the NHL you're trying to kind of live vicariously through them by pushing them to do something that they you know they might not even really want to do but that's what they've been kind of born to do or been raised to do and i think that's where why we see you know people getting that post secondary education is because you know either they're trained they're basically trained to go do it and society has been saying you need that education to be successful. But I think, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a shift with a lot of young entrepreneurs, you know, either going to post-secondary for a little bit or not even going to post-secondary and being able to do some incredible things because they're thinking outside the box. And when we look at specifically, you know, high school and kids coming from high school, they're not being taught financial literacy. You know, it's finally that uh, they they've decided to make a program for that for for students starting in grade nine, which I think will hopefully, you know, teaching about mortgages, teaching about car payments and compound interest and all that stuff so that they know what they're getting themselves into. They're not just going to think that, okay, I have to get a car because that's what, you know, everybody else is doing. I should go get one and put themselves in a in a risky situation that gets them in debt that they might not really know about. So then they're scrambling, just trying to continue to pay it off. Yeah, I mean, um, I think society does a really good job of like conditioning people to think a certain way. And generally, a, a, a lot of people who stand out in society are the ones that go against the grain, try to figure out a new way of doing it. But people always look at them weird. You know, like if you don't have that nice car, if like everyone around you is driving a brand new car and, you know, you have like an older uh, more beat up one, but one that you you're paid off completely. You're the weirdo. It's like, why aren't you? You know, you can afford this. Why aren't you doing it? Why are you being cheap? You know, like there's there's this huge, uh, I guess, counter wave of trying to go of trying to be fiscally responsible in a, in a weird way. And one of the things I love is nowadays, you know, we have access to more information. Like you see, like that video of like Jeff Bezos in like an old Camry, uh, and the reporter's like, "You're a billionaire. Why are you in this Camry?" And he's trying to explain, it's like, yeah, well, I still got expenses, you know, I got things to do. And like, this allows me to be like, be to minimize my expenditure and uh, be able to do more. So, I mean, let's talk about what debt does to students, like in their early ages, right? They, like, like you said, like you have to now double think about the experience you take on, about where, you, you know, where you spend your time. It takes away from things you've borrowed from your future. Well, it's one of the best definitions I've heard about debt is you're borrowing from your future. And you know, that has to be paid back eventually. So going back to like paying off debt, like um, your website, you know, it talks about how Canadians carry $30 billion worth of debt. How is that generally financed uh, or like uh, facilitated? Do you said in the website, you also mentioned it takes about 15 years for the average family to pay that off. Now, how did that, have you, have you done, uh, is there any case studies on this? It's like, uh, how do people go through this life cycle of paying off debt? Yeah. So with regards to that, most of it comes from whether it's provincial loans, like, you know, that's the one thing that Canada does very well is we have a great provincial loan program. So whether in Ontario or Alberta or BC, but there's also individuals that take out line of credits through banks as well. Right. So they're lower interest, uh, they're lower interest loans, but they're still taking out anywhere from, you know, 10 to $15,000 to pay for their education. Um, and I think the other thing too is, is, you know, when people go to post-secondary, they don't necessarily know all of the expenses that they're probably going to have. They say, okay, well, the average tuition is 6,000 bucks. Okay, perfect. I can afford that. But then you add in the cost of living, right? And then you add in, okay, am I going to have some fun while I'm at school, which everybody should, right? Everybody should experience, you know, post-secondary as, you know, their predecessors uh, experienced it, right? Because, um, who wants to go to school just to kind of just head down, not make any relationships? Because I know for myself, I've got tons of incredible relationships through post-secondary educations that continue to date and that will last a lifetime, right? And I think that's what it's all about. 
So when we look at the the uh, the loan scenario, it's you just see these individuals struggle, and it's on average ten to fifteen years, right? And what a lot of people don't know is on that average thirty thousand dollars, the interest over those ten to fifteen years ends up being an additional ten thousand dollars, right? So if you have an average, if you got that thirty thousand dollar loan, by the time you pay it off, you're it's actually a forty thousand dollar loan. And I don't think a lot of individuals or students think about it that way, right? If they could could realize how to compound that interest and what it would actually cost them to take it out, they might reconsider whether they would do that or not, or they would try to find a different way, you know, or they might say, you know what, I won't go to school this year. I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to work, earn, earn enough money so that I can pay for it, right? Instead of having to take out loans. What is um, what is the what is your take on this hustle culture behind it? Right, like true hustlers will figure out a way to pay for it or pay it back. Um, because there's the I'm a little biased because uh, I didn't actually take off that my student loans. I actually figured a way to pay for it. Um, so just a quick throwback. Um, I literally had a OSAP consultancy in, in university where people would come to me and pay me like 50 bucks to figure out how to get them loans, even though I never took a loan myself. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, the way I did this was at 17, um, I randomly, uh, when I first started the university, I went in and talked to what I found, it turned out to be this. So our, our campus had about four people that worked in the, student, in the loan office. Uh, these, 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 these four, four, uh, four middle-aged women, and they're always there day in, day out. Uh, they were the administrative staff. And only one of them really cared about their job. Like if you went in, if you had a chance to stand in line and get her, she would go out of the way to make sure you were taken care of. And for whatever reason, I somehow got her direct phone line. And so like whenever I called in, she would be the one to pick up instead of going to the general line. And literally my, uh, my first consultancy was me utilizing this this particular resource that I had, right? This uh, unfair advantage and getting people who are struggling to figure out how to get their loans and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And I was literally get paid to do this. And university being this hustle culture, uh, sorry, this, this place for entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, you being a founder, I'd love to hear about your experience. Um, there's all these different ways to, you know, uh, to capitalize, not just work or, you know, have a, have a job. I, I did that too. I was, I was a bartender on campus. But I use that as a way to meet people and, uh, and make relationships, which I then utilize, you know, to throw like a house party, uh, make a few a few grand there. You know, um, our campus is surrounded by these really nice houses, which foreign international students would stay in and they were bored. I would convince them to throw, uh, allow me to throw a party for them because I was on different clubs, different associations. I'm like, yo, it'd be great. They would give the house. Uh, I would, uh, you know, uh, get some people to provide the booze and literally like 20 bucks a ticket, 30 bucks a ticket uh, for people to get in. You can raise like a, a $1,000, $2,000, you know, uh, in a night from average, from my, from a party. And I, I, you know, I realized like, you know, running experiences on campus uh, is like a self-fulfilling thing. People know you, people get it and, and you can, you can do like this. And I, I was that was where my hustle mentality was really refined. I was able to experiment on different ideas and test it out because you have a large, uh, large array of people around the same age, same kind of mindset that you can test out to a very coordinated target market, right? This is before like uh, uh, social media graphing was uh, capable, capable, right? It allowed me to hustle and, and, and figure out how to pay this off. And the question always became is why do not do more people uh, don't try to hustle. Uh, why do they get jobs? You know, and I, I always, always wondered about this. Um, like, and, and, and there's a lot of research about this. You know, like what only 10% of the population naturally gravitate towards entrepreneurship and, 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 and starting things for themselves. Whereas the remainder generally want to join something and, and achieve some kind of stability off this. So wrapping this back into your experience as a founder and, and starting this, uh, at what point did you uh, take this problem and want to spin it out into a startup? You know, it, it was literally, I'd say about two years ago um, is when it kind of all came together and the idea was there. And, um, you know, I was looking at my previous job, you know, very successful, you know, in the insurance industry. Um, our company was getting ready to sell. So I think it was that, you know, you see a little bit of a culture change, uh, change when you, you know, companies are looking to be acquired, you know, 
they tighten down the hatchets a little bit. Everything becomes a little bit less, uh, less about culture and more about how do we get the most money out of what we're trying to sell right now. Um, and so all these, it was kind of that perfect storm. So this idea happened to come up and then this change started to happen. So it was almost, you know, serendipitous in the sense that I thought, okay, this is something that I need to really look at and pursue. And I think when you, when you talk about, you know, why only 10% of, of people are really looking at being entrepreneurs is because I think they're problem solvers, right? They look at the world differently. You know, I grew up in a family run business, so I kind of was able to see that, you know, as a, as a manufacturing business, so a sign company and, you know, being in the back shop, you know, doing basically every, every uh, job there was in that shop, we were able to do and, and get to experience. And I remember one time I was looking at the production line and how we were doing certain things. And I was just sitting back watching a crew do this. And I went up to the product pro, uh, project manager. I said, you know, if you give me two less guys, because they were getting behind on the project, you give me two less guys and you let me set this up properly. I'll have it done ahead of time. And they laughed at me. And I said, but if, if, you, if I do this, then you got to give me a raise. And they just laughed and said, there's no way you're going to do it. And so they said, okay. I took the challenge. We got it done ahead of time with less people because we properly set it up. And so I think it's, you know, looking at just being aware of your situation, looking at certain things in a different way, identifying problems and trying to solve them. I think, you know, teaching our kids that if you have a problem, don't don't solve it for them. Let them solve it. Um, I know with my kids, you know, they'll ask me to do something like open up a jar. Yeah, I can open up a jar of pickles, no problem. But if they see me struggle a little bit with it uh, and they see that I'm having a bit of a hard time, but then I get it, well, that's going to show them that it, it doesn't come easy to me. I have to work at it and I have to keep trying. And I think if we teach our kids that, that it's not about, you know, it's not about the quick fix. It's not about, hey, this is easy. If it's not easy for you, find something else, right? It's stick with it find the solution and figure out a way to kind of move forward. So I think that's really what it, what it, what it comes down to is why there's only 10%. You know, we're not training our kids, our individuals to think outside the box or to be creative. Have you ever heard of the, the, the marshmallow kit uh, test when it comes to children and success? No, I haven't. So uh, that was a great test that was done. It's like um, one of the great indicators of success is not intelligence, but the ability to um, to stand off, to uh, the ability to uh, push away uh, gratification or rewards. So the marshmallow test, especially in children, it's a great indica indicator of future uh, uh, success because it literally is saying to going to a child and said, "Hey, do you want one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later? Like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes later." And the idea is that the children who who, uh, who who say, you know, I'll wait and get two, uh, they are ability to invest. They understand that, you know, playing with time, they'll get more. And by being patient and putting away their own uh, own feelings, they can uh, they by uh, they they can get ahead. And the kids who say now, because one, they don't trust you or trust their adult or or are just uh, gluttonous. Um, they are more prone to act on the current now, what, what they what they what they really want right at, at the moment, and work on a moment by moment basis, are, are very unlikely to invest for the future. And this was a weird test because these are these are generally kids around six or seven that's been uh, that, that that go through this test, and that's not a lot of time to get socialized or or or, or to be mm -hmm. taught these kind of things. And it's weird that it it's a it's a state that kind of naturally comes to be. And it seems to me that the kind of like uh, the job of a parent is is uh, to make if you want your kids to be really successful, is to figure out how to make them more patient with themselves and how to invest in skills or uh, in things that yield to the future, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and yeah, that's why I completely agree. Yeah, so yeah, a lot I of entrepreneurs. Agree with that. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs come from a family of entrepreneurs. They got to see the fruits of you know of, of yielding uh, future results. Um, so, you know, coming back to paid and uh, the mission here, um, let's talk about the mechanics of how we actually help people pay back uh, loans and, and their debts faster. Uh, 
Um, how does this app, uh, how does it uh, utilize, uh, does it utilize any particular concepts? Does it uh, gamify or hack you in a way to make you more uh, uh, more pliable to get out of your situation? Uh, it's more information-based. What, is it, what, is, what does Paid do? Well, paid, what Paid does is we try to create like savings on autopilot to be you know, blunt. Um, and how we do that is by basically you, you sign up a payment card. You know, there's, there's similar products that, that are out there that, that we compete with that are all, they're all targeted to either a credit card or they're targeted to an account. What we do is we layer that on top of, of what you already have. We're not saying you need to sign up and create an account with us and create a, and have a credit card with us. We're saying you already have credit cards. You already have accounts. Let's utilize those, right? So all it is is it's card-based program where they sign up their payment cards. And what we do is we help them round up those purchases. So we take the pennies out of their account and put it into an investment account. We help them earn cash back based on their spending habits. So what we get to do is we get to see all the transactions that are happening where our customers are spending. So we go to those, those uh, merchants and partner with them so that we're providing more value to our, our user base. And then you invest those funds through Questrade right now. And the idea is if you're in school, you can put it in a TFSA and, and, and allow you to do some type of trading with it if you want, or put an RESP, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. And it's up to Questrade and us to educate you on what those savings mechanisms are. And then the big thing is, is getting, you know, friends and family to do the exact same thing, but that money goes towards your education. Right. And what's cool about this is that it's basically crowdsourcing. So think Facebook, you're trying to create your social circle. And instead of it being about uploading photos and staying connected that way, it's about staying connected on the education piece and paying off that education. So what's great about for parents is that they're not giving you these huge lump sums. It's small microtransactions. So these small little bits that are continually adding up. Right. It's like the old day, the piggy jar, like the piggy bank, right? And we're doing that digitally and easily and automatically. And that's how we help save. And then the other thing that we do is when, you know, students graduate, we want to partner with their employers because, you know, RS, RSP matching programs are sometimes inaccessible to some businesses. But with our platform, they can do it and we help offset the cost of it through our own corporate matching program. So, uh, it, you know, what's cool is, you know, they sign up their own corporate cards and we help them save based on their spend as well. So now instead of it being straight out of your profits, well, we're looking at, okay, well, we've helped you earn, you know, 10,000 bucks of cash back to put towards your employees. Why wouldn't you want to do that? It creates a different mechanism for them to save. It creates more peace of mind, allows them to, to get away from pay, uh, living paycheck to paycheck. But it also gives the employee the control of the money, right? With standard uh, RSP matching programs, it has to go to a specific institution. It has to be a specific amount and, it, and you can't touch it, right? From an employee standpoint, I might just need an extra couple bucks for rent, right? And that today will reduce more stress than me trying to save for that RSP, that I know is down the road. I know it's important, but today I'm stressed about paying rent. I'm not stressed about saving for my future. So it's trying to, to really balance that from, you know, an institutional standpoint and from a, a corporate standpoint. So to help those, those individuals, you know, reduce their stress. Cause then if you can do that, they're going to be more productive at work. They're going to be more present at work which is kind of what you want to do. And we want to help individuals save, you know, student debt doesn't end when you graduate. That's when it begins. <laughs> so how can we help continue that journey and make it valuable for, for our user base? This is a great um, uh, Instagram post that uh, I, I, I've etched my mind. Um, it's from an account called Business Magnets. And it says like, you know, uh, $10,000 saved in year, the year 2000 would be worth less than $6,000 right now. But $10,000 invested in the year 2000 would be worth like $60,000 plus by now. 
and the idea being like invest versus saving, right? Um, especially for uh, anyone from the 90s generation, it was like bar down to into your mind, save, 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 yeah. save. The yeah. saving part was like always primary. It's like once you have money, X money saved up, you can go out and do all these things. But it's crazy to think about all those, what was considered good financial advice then, you know, save that money is actually detrimental because the value of money is going down due to inflation. Uh, we're now living on this reality where uh, the Canadian uh, Fed has this bill, has this uh, printed out a trillion dollars into the economy. And in the US, uh, it's about four trillion has gone into, into the economy, mostly to, through, through loans and, uh, um, and uh, financing, um, uh, financing cheap debt. And the, the inflation curve of that has not hit yet. We know in the next few years, at least next four years, the inflation curve is going to start hitting us, and, the, and our, it's going to start hitting that. Uh, the, the cost of living is going to go up. The, the, the cost of buying is going to go down. And in certain places, it's a, we're already feeling this squeeze. So when it comes to saving versus invest, right? Um, one of the most key, I think, reasons why these fintech tools like yourself is so important is to facilitate uh, savings into investings. So yes, you are saving, you're, you're taking this and, and putting it aside, but that is not just sitting in like a savings account that's paying, you know, 0.2% like a normal mm-hmm. bank would, right? I think banks pay like, you know, 0.25% uh, interest, which is nothing. Even at yeah. 3% interest, you're losing money there, 3% uh, uh, inflation. So with inflation, uh, uh, you know, hitting at our doors and coming in, what is what is your take on this? Like, where does money saved from a paid go? Where does it sit? So, you know, where it, it sits right now with Quest Trade. So that's where all the savings will go. And, and it's up to the user to decide what mechanism is the best for them through, through Quest Trade's platform. And they've got lots of different options available, you know, RSP. So they handle all that pro- program um, and all the, the tax implications and all that fun stuff. Um, that's the tax stuff's beyond my, my knowledge. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, trying to educate the user on how these investment opportunities work. Right. And it's incrementally. So you don't feel like you're, you're out, like, Look at the current situation with RESPs and parents. When do they typically pay it? Near the end of the year. How do they pay it? pay it? One big chunk. They try to maximize it or put however much they can on it. But what if they used our program and they could incrementally save for it where it does, you don't see that big chunk? Because that's that's the psychology aspect of it. Is it easier to save a little bits along the way or put that big chunk? And from my standpoint, I see that big chunk of like, oh man, I could really use that somewhere else. Where if I see a couple bucks here or there, I'm like, oh, that's, that's not a big deal, right? And so that's what we're trying to, to help uh, our users is understand the psychology of those big lump sums is it, it can be, you know, stressful for them to do those things. And what we found is through some of the transactional data that we have is that you can actually fund your RSP quicker and be able to continue on the program and put it into other savings mechanisms, whether it's tax-free savings accounts. So it's really understanding that there's different avenues to put money and really educating you know, the user on what those avenues are and when is it a right time to put it in certain avenues. And then it's also understanding what that risk is. You know, how, What is their risk tolerance, right? Because investing is... It can be great. It can also really suck, right? Because if you put it in the wrong place, you lose money. But if you're smart, you can make a lot of money, right? So you have to really educate yourself on that. And that's what we want to provide is that literacy platform that shows them where they can make that money. Absolutely. Um, one of one of the like uh, the g- biggest game changers uh, in my investing strategy has been like uh, these auto traders like uh, Wealthsimple. And mm-hmm. over time, uh, adjusted for a risk basis, um, they actually outperform um, uh, self-managed uh, funds. And uh, I've, I've, I've seen a, a, the incredible benefits of this, especially during COVID. Like, you know, mm-hmm. my investment accounts are down, but Wellsimple is, uh, is holding pretty strong. These uh, electronically traded funds, right, that, that they, they, put, they put their money into. 
you put your yeah. money into for them has been has been phenomenal right this as uh, this idea that it can invest for you at a uh, yeah. uh, using some kind of intelligence and i i look back at uh, you know my early investing career you know when i first started uh, started uh, investing in the stocks i like you know when you're younger you think you have uh, you can you can tolerate as much risk as you want because your life is just beginning so making like a like a like a like a big bet and winning big means it can change your whole life. Let's do that. But if I lose, whatever, you know, I, I rest of my life to recover, or I have, yeah. I have years to recover. And I remember one of one of the one of the one of the ways I realized that investing was gambling was when I tried to make a short play on BlackBerry back in the day when they first started to come out with a with a new phone and try to engage. I was trying to like short sell it and do all this fancy stuff and burned a lot of capital. Which I realized if I didn't do that, and a week later, if I had put it into uh, Netflix, when their that main first uh, quarterly report came out, uh, you know, and saw their their stock like go up eight times over in a period of like three four months, man, that would have been a way bigger killing. So mm-hmm. like investing, absolutely, like you know, picking the right company and all this, you need to you need to figure out and have a strategy. But I think one of the key proponents of investing and uh, and saving is the mental strategy behind it, the, the mental um, the, the mental muscle that requires of think of thinking about this, uh, you know, being of, of, as a disciplined investor. Uh, uh, you know, you're not just doing this as like a get rich quick scheme or like a hail mary throw. Uh, no, it's a legitimate strategy that you have to do that you're uh, paving the way for your your future. Right. And uh, electronic traded funds are one of the key ways, uh, I think, uh, easiest way to get into these things. Um, there's another another bank that I really like is uh, I, I switched over to is Tangerine and Tangerine, yeah. the bank account. You know, one of the things it does is it has something called money rules. It allows you to program money, almost like what crypto has been promising. This is the yeah. first bank that allows you to do this. You can say if something if this happens, do this. Right. Uh, every time I spend money, take 25 cents. And, and, and put it into savings. Every time, um, you know, I make a bill payment, X amount goes in savings. You know, every time I buy, uh, buy some, uh, some alcohol, put some money to savings, right? If I have money yeah. for this, I get money to save. And these money rules is a game changer because it automates, uh, uh this, uh, the habits that you want to form, right? It, it, yeah. it just makes it operate. So technology can do this, uh, but on the on the on the left side, there's been a lot of blowback for fintech companies on how it uh, how the effects it has on on its users. So, for example, like the the insurance industry, um, you know, they've been doing this thing where it's like put an app on uh, put your app put our app on your phone, let us know how you drive, and we'll reward you with lower rates. Right, but one of the primary problems with that is that it doesn't. They're not getting the full uh, information, the, the, the full story. Someone slams the brakes in front of you, and you slam your brakes, and your insurance app is on. They're gonna think you're a bad driver, regardless of the situation, yeah. regardless of the fact that you probably saved someone's life by doing that. Uh, you get you get dinged. And what it looks like is that fintech companies more and more, uh, what they're actually doing is building ecosystems around them of their users, rewarding users for giving them data and information of their of their uh, of their uh, activity and return that gives them some kind of benefits. And uh, it seems like fintech companies are become, have, have, are building their own like ecosystems of users around them, depending on what type of uh, behaviors they want or what kind of KPIs. So it's uh, looking at that kind of perspective with paid, it's almost like you are say, telling your users, hey, you know, join our ecosystem, give us feedback, give us uh, analytics about how you spend money, how you operate. We will give you tools to better save and, and to better operate. And in return, the positive is that you will pay off your debt faster. Is that a fair assessment of looking at this? That, that's a that's a fair assessment, you know, whether it's paying off your debt or whether it's saving for education. Like, mm-hmm. I think we try to tie it all in around education because I, I think, you know, education is key. Whatever level you decide you go to, um, if you're always learning, you're a life like I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. I'll never know everything. And there's always an opportunity to learn more. Yeah. Um, whether that's going back and taking a couple courses and on stuff that you just want to, you know, refresh your mind on, like obviously marketing and social uh, media have changed the way people market over the past 20 years. So and there's always new stuff coming out. So for us, it's about how do we continue to tap into what these new things are? You know, as I start to age, my user, like my, most of my user base is going to stay the students, you know, student level. 
So how do we tap into that knowledge consistently so that we're providing value? And I think it really comes down to us. It's, it's really about, you know, we want to help you get education, right? And pay for that education. And we want to make sure we do it right. Where in a situation where the user wins, you know, the local businesses win, you know, everybody kind of wins. It's create this scenario where it's mm -hmm. not about greed. It's not about how much money can we profit. It's about how many, you know, can we create an actual social change? Can we actually help alleviate the student debt crisis? And that's really what our business is about. Uh, John, what school did you go to? I went to Fanshawe College. Okay. Where's that by? So in London, Ontario. So took some courses at Western. You know, I, was, I actually played volleyball. So I got recruited out to play at the University of Saskatchewan, did a year there. You know, it was tough to leave family and friends, come back, take some courses at Western, decided, you know what? University just wasn't for me. I wasn't the, you know, sit in the lectures, write the papers. I was that more of that hands-on learner. Mm -hmm. um, and once I got to college, I just like, I loved it. I loved the education aspect of being able to like apply all the learnings that we're doing. And, you know, it really worked well for my learning style. And so I got to play some volleyball. Well, I, I like to say that, uh, you know, I went to play volleyball and I got an education while I was at it. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it, that, that's what I loved about it. You know, the, mm -hmm. it, it, sports gave me an opportunity to learn. Okay. So, um, that being said, um, would you, if you're going back uh, and having to do it all over again, would you go purely just for the college experience? Uh, would you pay for that kind of experience? And do you think it's worth it? To be honest, I probably wouldn't change much. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's the struggle that a lot of these students have is that there's such a focus or a force to focus on what you're going to do. Right. You're, you know, you're 15 years old and you're being, you're being told, what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. You've only lived 15, you, you've, li you've lived like, you know, 15% of your life. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't really lived. You don't know what you really like and what you don't like and what you really want to be. Um, so I think there's a real, we force children to pick what they want to be instead of letting them figure it out. Um, and I think there needs to be more, and this is a personal opinion, but I think there needs to be a little bit more experiential learning so that they can understand and dabble a little bit more over here and, and dabble over here. And, you know, it's not just, you're, you're going to be strictly sciences. You're going to be strictly, um, business, right? It's let them learn what makes sense. Cause when I went to U of S I was kind of half kinesiology, half business. I found the business side came Naturally, I had to work harder on the kinesiology side, mm -hmm. but I found that I loved the business side more. So that's the route I kind of took yeah. business and marketing. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Like, uh, I feel the same way. Like the, that experience is so fundamental to like how you move forward in life. And like the, the basis of, uh, you know, your understanding of, uh, of reality is that uh, you, you know, you can't ask to replicate it or you can't ask to take that away. So moving forward uh, to your kids, you know, would you want them to pursue a higher education degree? Do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's a, uh, would you say that it's a requirement for them? I think for them, it's, it, it really comes down to, I think education is changing. Mm -hmm. I think the way we facilitate education and how we learn is changing rapidly. Um, so it's kind of hard to say whether the, those institutions could even be around in the next 15 years, right? Or, or, or what that institution looks like could be completely different than what we, what we see today. Uh, I, believe in, I believe in education uh, and, and I believe in learning. So I would love for them to. I would never force them to do anything they don't want to do. And I think that's, that's really the message that I try to send is that, you know, try things, yeah. right? You know, when I, when I'm a sports guy, I love sports. Um, I want my kids to try every sport and what sport do you like? Go with it. Right. I'm not going to force you to be a volleyball player. Cause I was, you know, you want to play hockey, go play hockey. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's really up to you, but don't, don't be put in the situation where you don't try something because somebody else, you know, like, because I didn't do it. Right. Um, I want them to experience things so that they can grow and, and they'll learn what they like and what they don't like. It's not for me to tell them. It's for mm -hmm. them to figure out. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the crazy things I've seen is like uh, how esports is disrupting, is is, yeah. is merging with like uh, is uh, education as well. Because uh, in, yeah. in campus environments, just like we have sports teams, we now have esports teams. Uh, yeah, you know, this campus is building entire environments to have like professional esports players and things like that. So, absolutely, everything's in flux and 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 uh, and, and changing. That being said, um, what do you think are the changes that? Um, or like uh, post-secondary education systems uh, need like uh, uh, colleges uh, and, and campuses because now COVID has shown that we can do all this stuff remotely and virtually and you know with the rise of um, uh, the identification of everything of application of everything is that we, we see more stuff uh, available online right like Universities used to have this business model of like, okay, we're gonna invite, we're gonna bring in uh, the biggest, best researchers, provide them the biggest facilities, create all this research, uh, facilitate the, the propagation of that research out there, and use that to be like, look, look how smart we are, look how much knowledge we have, put up walls around the knowledge, and be like, cool, you want to come in and learn from this and become part of this, five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, right? It's crazy yeah. amounts uh, amounts of capital, but YouTube happened. And turns out uh, Virginia Law School has their entire law pro- first year law program on YouTube. Harvard mm-hmm. has their entire first year business courses on YouTube, right? Uh, Yale on YouTube, right? And one of the craziest things is that if you want knowledge now, you can now go and learn not from um, you know, the best unit institution, but the best teacher at the institution for free. Right. And this free model of education is, is really shaking things up because it's changing the model of how how we look at this, right? So if you can go out and learn for free, uh, if knowledge has no longer been capped, well, then a whole bunch of new research, a whole bunch of new thinking, a whole bunch of new applications can come uh, come out of it. And that is a, a, even more valuable than the knowledge itself, right? So if we can uh, facilitate the, the education of, of, of the youth so they can they can learn, but they can also go out and apply of that, Right. Being part of the application journey is is just as valuable as putting a paywall on, on learning and universities are becoming more and more of, of a places to build companies. Um, how about your experiences with these incubators? Have you been through a university incubator um, or a, a campus linked incubator? I, I know you've uh, recently come through uh, Innovation Factory. That's how we got connected. Mm-hmm. How have this incubation environment uh, been for you as an entrepreneur? It's been great. You know what I mean? Uh, just being able to tap into the resources and knowledge base that, you know, I think for most entrepreneurs, you need to figure out what you're good at mm-hmm. and what you're not good at. And that's one thing that I learned real quick is, okay, I'm good at these things. I'm not good at these things. So let's go find the people that are really good at these things and try and learn from them or get assistance and mentorship so that we can be successful. Right. And, it, and I think it's the same thing with hiring a team. It's like, you know you're good here. I don't need to hire another person that's good in the same role. I need to have, find something that's different, mm-hmm. right? That has different thought processes, different ways of going about things, so that we can learn from each other and grow, right? If you if if I had five, you know, I would have probably better success with you know five different people than you know five of the same. So these, you know, we're a part of the DMZ boot camp right now, and, and it's been fantastic. The learnings that we're getting, the the mentorship, the access to um, individuals that we normally wouldn't have access to, and just the networking uh, has been phenomenal. Um, some of the other businesses that are coming through are doing incredible things, and being able to help one another out is, I think, is huge. Um, one of the things that I say, I've, I've got, t- I've got all the all the time in the world for for founders learning about their business. If there's a way for me to help them, I will, right? And I think that's the mentality of a lot of the startups in Canada right now. It's like, how do we help each other, mm-hmm. right? It's not about, oh, I, you know, these guys are doing really well and there's there's no envy or, or, or jealousy around what people are doing. They're, everybody really wants to help each other succeed. And I think if we can kind of cont- continue and maintain this, then, you know, we're, everybody's going to do well, right? It's a community, Right. It's taking that that the community that you saw in post-secondary that we talked about and it's broadening it. It's it's getting larger. Right. You know, you might be at UT and had this great community to learn about creating a business. And now you're a part of an accelerator. Or you're just in the city center learning from all these other startups that came from different accelerators, which is incredible to see. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the 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 amount of uh 
resources available now to entrepreneurs is is pretty insane. Um, I remember yeah. like 2013 when I tried to start my first tech company and I knew, knew nothing about tech. Very, very, very hard to get resources even online to find stuff yeah. out. Now it's like a, it's like a, it's like a dream. You can just everything's like a Google search away. Um, yeah. How's it been for you to uh, launch an app? Are you a coder yourself? Um, are you familiar? Are you are you comfortable with coding, or has it been a, a journey to like understand what the, what a, what the requirements behind that is? I am not a coder at all. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a business guy. I'm a I'm a I'm a marketer and sales guy uh, basically, um, and those are my strengths. Uh, I understand the development process. I understand how it works, building building uh, applications for, um, you know, the insurance company that I worked for. Um, and so kind of understanding how to manage that outsourced experience uh, is, is what I know. And, and because I don't know it, I have to lean on the experts, right? And so that's kind of what we did was we outsourced our, our work. And I'm glad that we did because... COVID came and that kind of, I think it put a, a halt to a lot of people, right? Um, and a lot of businesses, we just had to just stop everything and wait for, you know, what the next step was. So when I look at it in hindsight, it was the smart decision to outsource instead of hiring people. Because then from a business owner's perspective, you you want to make sure you can take care of those people, yeah. right? And I never want to hire somebody I can't pay, <laughs> right? <laughs> So I think, you know, being able to outsource, being able to stop and start, um, lean on experts that have built stuff before, having confidence in them, that 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 really helped us uh, kind of get to where we are today. That's awesome. Um, uh, I love the idea of like uh, non-technical people getting to, you know, figuring out a problem and launching a technical product because uh, the amount of resources out here is so available. So kudos to you and your team. Um, and especially for the supporters you have, because uh, I've heard about you before I even met you. And that's always a great, great place to be, especially yeah. as a founder. Uh, yeah. Generally, it's the other way around and you're desperately trying to get uh, your, your solutions out there. So um, I love I love the, the idea behind paid, uh, helping people manage their, their uh, student loans. Yeah, even though I never took out loans, uh, even then uh, my, my wife did. And, you know, having done a master's on top of an undergrad, you see the, com- uh, the compound effects of loans and what happens there. And, um, yeah, I love seeing startups geared around great problems. So John, kudos to you, kudos to your team, uh, kudos to paid, uh, looking forward to, um, seeing, seeing more of what, what you guys do and the problems you solve. So thank you again for your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Stick around. We'll do a quick debrief, but for everyone else, thank you. 